In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I try to figure out what in the heck has happened to the Sixers offense, which has a league-worst 99 offensive rating over the last three games. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, uh, joined by a guy in Rich Hoffman who is more confused watching the Sixers try to play basketball than Elon Musk is trying to run a social network. <laughs> How you doing, Rich? Well, now you're telling everybody what we've been talking about for the last week. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Elon and the, the British Prime Minister. That was, that's <laughs> yeah. more fun. It's more fun. <laughs> a little more serious, but more fun. Um. Look, this team, man, I'll tell you what, this team, I, and it was funny because at the start of the season, I worried that we were going to get into a pattern where all we did was complain about their transition defense every night. All right. Well, lately that hasn't been that awful. In fact, last night it was probably pretty good. It was one of the, it could have been a lot worse, the game, uh, than the 104-95 loss. I asked them to lose a different way. They they listen to you, Rich. They listen to you because the last three games, the offense has been dreadful. All right. The Knicks game, a 106 to 104 loss. Through three quarters, they played pretty well offensively. Missed a bunch of shots. But even in when they were playing well, you kind of went like, yeah, you know, if New York just stopped sort of like overhelping here, I'm not sure what they'd really do. That happened in the fourth quarter. All right. The Suns game. At least when Embiid was in there, it looked like they had a plan of attack. Tough Suns team. Didn't put up a ton of points. Didn't necessarily shoot all that well, especially inside the arc. But they won, and that makes they everything won, feel better. Mostly on the backs of their defense, but Embiid played well, or at least ran the offense well, and you could yep. overlook it a little bit. Not a great offensive game by any stretch, but you could overlook it. No, a bad one. And then the Hawks came, and who oh boy, that was a tough one to watch offensively. Really throughout most of the night, especially in the second half of that third quarter when Embiid was out. And that's, this one isn't even really where, like, they just missed shots. They missed some shots. Or they shoot the 30. other guys, too. Sure, they missed a lot of shots. That, there was so little ball movement, so little execution, so, so little player movement, that when Embiid wasn't scoring, I had no idea what they were going to do. Tyrese Maxey is shooting, like, 29% over the last three games. Seems high. I don't recall those 29%, uh, but he has apparently made some of those shots. He looks completely lost. Tobias has struggled here. Had a, a pretty decent game against Phoenix, but has not been consistently good. And there's just... I can't remember the last time it felt like a player actually created an, an advantage for his teammates. There's so little creativity and passing. Creativity both in, in the passes and in the sets, quite frankly. It's been been a slog it's been tough to watch and then uh i actually got a a text message from my brother the other day and this was after the phillies lost the world series and a couple of bad sixers games and he goes to me you know what i used to think that you had a dream job getting paid to watch sports he's like but then it it hit me like you have to watch every game <laughs> and after the last couple of weeks here i just i need a break from these freaking guys or i'm going to lose my mind and I feel like a lot of Sixers fans right now listening to this are probably in a, in a similar spot to my brother. That is a great text. There are probably about 
three aspects of that text that we're going to get into tonight. <laughs> that they're why are they really hard to watch? Uh, it's unbelievable how apathetic the fan base is it right is, now, and really just is. how there's there's a lot of things we can get into there. We so, watch these Sixers, so you don't have to. Yeah, and that's that's a smaller part. That yeah, our job is not all sunshine and roses right now because yeah, it's it's uh it's tough to watch. All kidding aside, we obviously have dream jobs. We know that, um, but we would prefer to watch good basketball over what we have watched here over the last couple of days. Yeah, I think their their offensive rating over the three games in the nineties, like, Rich. It's ninety nine. That's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I that's Michael like Carter G-League Williams can stuff, do that. Man. Oh, he could do better than that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, he was up in like the 104s, 105s. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's like a G League team playing in the NBA. And I think you hit it on the head. Here's a question for you. Do you think, and this is kind of a more broader base one, because I think you hit it right on the head, the the lack of ball and player movement. You don't have James Harden anymore. It's, yeah. Things got to move. People yeah. got to move. Do you think the fact that they played such a static style with Harden kind of screws them now because oh yeah you have to play differently well it is funny because i feel like one of the initial takeaways from when doc got here right because brett brown was pretty famous for his i want joe to know exactly where his outlets were so when joe was posting up outside of reddick with the two-man game there was almost no movement off ball and that was by design that was to simplify the offense for joe and then Doc came in here and he gave Embiid a little more responsibility and you saw more cutting you saw more movement and this year, I feel like it is as static and as stagnant as it's ever been. And you bring up a good point. Part of that might be that the role players are so new. And throughout the course of the season, you can add more of those wrinkles back in. You know, we mentioned before that a lot of these players are very comfortable playing off of Harden, in part because they have played off of literal Harden prior yeah. in their careers, but in part because that style of play is just a little easier to adapt to. You've done it more throughout your NBA career. Whereas playing off of a post-up center, unless you're coming from... Denver, you've probably never done it. Daniel House wasn't cutting off post-ups for Harden. No, and Daniel House got lost a couple times and got right in uh, Embiid's lap, too. So did so did Matisse. When Matisse doesn't have any excuse, he's been doing it for a while now. Um, but he ended up right in Embiid's lap a couple times, too. Trying to set a screen. Anyway, we don't need to get into random tangents because I feel like we have a lot of broader topics to get into. And part of it might be that the way they play off of Harden would be completely different than the way they play off of Embiid. It's a fair question. I don't entirely, but it doesn't, I don't know. It's a fair hypothesis, but they right now do not move. And when Embiid is not able to force a rotation and kick it out or get a bucket himself, I don't really know how they create, especially when Maxi can't throw the ball into an ocean and he looks like he's second guessing himself for a player who rarely does. And when I think of of the Brett Brown years, you're absolutely right about he was famous on like, Joel, you're looking at the same picture every time when you're yeah. posting up. That said, Brett's main continuity offense, kind of the motion offense, that thing would move side to yep. side. There would be dribble handoffs. There would be Ben hitting Dario on the uh, who played in the game the other night. Good to see him back playing. Would hit him on the elbow and then he'd cut and th- yep. the thing would move side to side. You, you would get some level of that. And that's where the, the two man game with Reddick and Embiid would kind of yep. naturally come out. A lot of side to side to the point where fans were getting annoyed by it because they wanted more traditional pick and roll. <laughs> it is so funny that stylistically it just, we just ping pong back and forth. Oh, come on. Will you get somewhere with all this ball movement? And now it's, 
Oh my God, stop isolating, yeah. move the ball. But <laughs> look, I, it's, it's a fair, it's, as Brett would say, it's a fair point right now. It's, it's just so slow and so like even when Joe is isolating, there's no screening on the side of these delay no. sets. There's there's nothing. So that needs to get fixed like uh like now. So that's the broader point. Um Tyrese Maxey over his past three games. Awful. I mean awful is yeah. I and I want to preface this by saying that I am not worried about young Maxey. He'll be fine, but it's time to criticize him a little bit. He was an F in the past three games. Yeah. Just a straight F. And that's a little bit of the issue of his game. There is such a boom or bust quality to what he does. If he's a C plus in these past three games, they are at minimum a two and one, six and six on the year. And you know what? Maybe they get the three and oh, honestly. Maybe it doesn't feel like the sky is falling if that's uh if that's happening. Even though I don't I still don't think the sky is completely falling, even if it's Brutal to watch right now. The problem is that dude does not have a lot of C-plus games in him. There is the A-plus game, which we saw in Toronto a couple weeks ago. So, again, he's closer to average on aggregate here. When I when I talk about him costing them games, he obviously has won them some games. And he's done that throughout his career, basically winning them games, not single-handedly, but close to it. But there aren't that many average games, which I think shows the difference between him and James Harden. Harden can and will have games where he shoots the ball like shit, you know, three of 15 from the field, and he's average because he has 12 assists and two turnovers, and he organizes the offense and gets guys open shots. And I think you have taken some flack for pointing out that his passing isn't all that great. His playmaking is something that needs to get better over the years. I feel like these three games are an example of that. Yeah, and to be honest, his playmaking has been pretty disappointing for me because I thought there were signs earlier in the season that it was maybe, or at least he was taking a few more risks than he previously was the past couple games. He is not running the offense well. And it really shows it really, really shows. I was thinking about this earlier today and it was like, when was the last time this team had two good passers on at the same time? Like two legitimately plus passers. It, uh, I don't know. You might have to go back to like who are some of the players that Drew was paired with. Like you might have to go all the way back, and even then, Drew, I'm not Drew and Iguodala. Yeah, that might be the last time. There was no point in the process and post-process era that there have been two actual positive passers. Every now and then, Embiid kind of like moonlights as one, but it's never consistent enough to where he is it's, legitimately a like he can he can create shots because he's so 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 unstoppable, uh, but there's almost never two times where you're like that, that dude right there is going to create another shot for his teammate. It just doesn't happen. And when, when Harden's out of the lineup, you know, Maxi's deficiencies in that regard come to the forefront and it's just, and you know, Tobias has obviously never been a passer. Uh, he's, he's always been an ISO scorer, uh, a guy who can get a bucket for himself, a shot for himself, but he wasn't going to force a rotation and do anything with it. And you're seeing that a lot with uh, with a lot of the role players now too. And I like I get it because really what you, what you need to surround James Harden is a bunch of three and D guys, and those guys don't tend to be great setup men and very creative with the ball. Otherwise, they wouldn't be called three and D guys. They'd be stars, and you wouldn't be able to get them with what the Sixers have. So what you need to surround Harden with isn't necessarily going to lend itself to having a second and third and fourth creator. But when he's out, it's it's bad. Bad. It's uh 
Yeah, and that's why, you know, when when I say these maxi issues, they're not as big of a deal when Harden is on the court because he really takes up a lot of the playmaking burden. And I think we're seeing that, you know, Harden's average is better than Maxi's average uh, by a lot in that uh, in that regard. So that that's why ultimately still not worried about it. But it, it's also it's kind of like when he goes off. I I joke on this pod when I say, man. That was cool when Tyrese did the thing where he scored all the points. There's not a ton of nuance except the supremely talented kid catching fire and getting to the rim and doing all those things. Like, so because he's not like he's not doing the quote unquote little things. And I hate sort of like when people say that because like passing is not a little thing. Defense isn't a little thing, but he doesn't contribute in a lot of the areas for when he's having an off night. He can be like, all right, well, I'm going to shut this guy down or I'm going to create for my teammates. That's just not his game right now. And it, it needs to become, he needs to be become better as a defender. Although there's a, a, a cap there on that. And he needs to become better as a setup man. Uh, and I was hopeful he was making some incremental steps there. Doc Rivers sort of warned us before the season, like, you know, that'll take some time. And I by time, right he means like years. He, he might, he probably is. How right dare I that. say it? I'm going to say it. Doc Rivers was right about something. Sorry. Oh, Don't turn off the pod. We got to cancel Rich. Rich is canceled. I'll bring on Kyle Newbeck here as my co-host now. <laughs> uh, no, look, I think that's going to take some time. And also it might just be like, he might spend his career as a below average point guard creator and passer. It doesn't always he's, develop. He's good at the simple reads. Like you even saw it last night. They run that, uh, what is it? The, the el- angle pick and roll on the, the left elbow where him and Embiid basically it's a spread pick and roll. It's he's got the very simple pocket pass to Joel, but doc talked about it after the game. I, I guess against Phoenix where he said, and Maxie was bad in that game as well. Sixers would have won by 30 if he was pretty good where he said like, yeah, he just predetermined his reads the entire night. And that was because we were yelling at him because the New York game, he missed so many reads and, he took shots. So, yeah, he is a little out of sorts. They need to, I don't know, re- recalibrate him as a scorer and try and make up some of the playmaking with the ball and player movement. Because, again, I, I just don't think he's going to be a guy that's an every down pick and roll point guard, you know, a guy that should get 40 pick and rolls a game. And think about last year, you know, he did a really good job in his second year holding the fort down as a point guard. You know who else was in the backcourt with him last year? Seth Curry, yep. who. You know, essentially, when you trade him with Ben Simmons, okay, that roster spot basically goes away. Seth Curry, they would run that freaking pick and roll yeah. with Curry and Embiid whenever they needed a bucket. No, even- I was definitely sitting there last night going, you know what? I wouldn't mind having Seth Curry for a pick and roll right now. Unbelievable, right? So there's, you know, and that's what, look, they tried to go more three and D in the offseason because they have Harden and Maxi, and that makes sense, but you are feeling it. A little bit when you remove the one piece. I don't want to call it a complete house of cards, but like a regular season house of cards, maybe a little bit. They, they still have enough to win. Um, well, one point about Tyrese, because Doc, this is something I disagreed with him. He said after the game that his drives need to be the first thing he gets back to. And I think that's generally like the old school school of thought. You know, I saw the coach Jimmy Lynham say it afterwards, too. I disagree. I think the three and drive game are legitimately for Maxi. They're they're very tied. You, you can't put one in front of the other. And if you made me pick one, honestly, that's more important. It might be the three because it just sets up that drive game in a in a different way. Like, part of the reason Maxi 
has struggled, he's stunk over the past three games, is because he has no touch from three-point yep. range right now. So when he gets Clint Capella on him on a switch last night, and it's, you know, he's one of five from beyond the arc and not comf- confident at all in his jumper, he drives right into Capella. He, like, flails up. He's not getting by that guy. And, and my point is, this is not prime LeBron having dudes bounce off him in traffic or Wade or somebody. This is not John Morant jumping over dudes in the middle of the paint. Um, he needs to use the threat of that three to set up the drive just as much as the other way around. So as much as we want to talk about, you know, he needs to get to the basket. He also needs to just start making some threes and and being confident in that shot. No, I agree. I agree. Um, and it just seems like right now, you know, what do you shoot? I think two for six from three last night over the last three games. It was in the twenties too, right? I forget exactly what it was. I looked it up this morning. I forget. Um, not shooting well from three. Let's put it that way. And it just feels like a lot of his are coming up front rim. I do wonder a little bit like, hey, the guy who's leading the league in minutes. I know he's young and boundless energy and all that. But like, maybe it's getting to him a little bit. Not mm-hmm. like you can really rest him now. You're not going to give him an off night while Harden's out. But, you know, 38 minutes might be a lot. I might cut that back a little bit. See if you can. Uh, but I mean. You know, the, the, the flip side of that is then, well, then you're you're running a lot of offense through Shake Milton, and I'm not sure that's a great solution either. Uh, but he does look a little bit like that. The legs might be affecting his shot a little bit. It feels like the classic high school coach saying, like, you know, yelling at the kid for the entire huddle and just being like, "You suck! You're you're killing us! You're terrible!" And then he's like, "Am I out of the game?" He's like, "No, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, what, <laughs> yeah. You're gonna put in somebody else? No." Yeah. So, uh, do you know what Maxi is shooting on drives the past three games? Oh gosh, I know he was two for seven last night. It's it's higher I'm, than I thought. I'm gonna guess forty percent, twenty four percent. But twenty four. Really? Yeah, well, see, I was going in the thirties, and then you said a high, higher than you expected, so I went forty. Well, twenty four like, is lower than I expected. Okay, well, you you understand those stats a little better than I do, but it just it jumped out to me because I saw him miss. A million yeah, drives. So I thought it was like 3%. But I, I guess that also counts <laughs> fast breaks and things like that. He's probably got a couple of those. Uh, and it's just 40% on the season. And that number was 50%, I checked, last season. So that, 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 I think that's where I saw that, actually. I think that's what I was thinking of. I think I was thinking on the season. Yeah. Because I think I saw that now. Imagine. And in fact, noticed? I think I saw that from your article. That was in your article over at theathletic.coms. Sure. Okay. It was. H- have you noticed how much he's complaining to the refs now, yeah. too? No. He is. He's, he's definitely making it a priority to try to seek out that contact. There are certainly drives you can see where there's no chance he's going to finish that, and he's relying on that contact, which is not something he did. And look, you and I have sat on this podcast many times. <laughs> he has got to make more of an effort to draw contact and get the line. It seems like that might be a little bit more of a work in progress, and it's costing him some shots because there are some attempts that have no chance, and he's relying on, on getting calls, which right now in at this stage of his career, and at the stage of his playing, he's just not getting. It is funny that we, we are criticizing him on all this, but he should just be like, see, see, I'm trying. Like, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, he said after the game that he's trying to draw contact too much, but I don't know. It's just crazy to see that kid with legitimately bad body language for most of the game. (laughs) It's just not something I thought I would see. Okay. Ultimately still not worried about him, but, he is a big reason their offense stinks right now. No, no, me neither. Me neither. And look, they've still got a 
couple games here. They got one against the Hawks, one against the Jazz, one against the Bucks. And then after that, things lighten up a little bit. When you start getting to some of the Hornets and the Magics of the world, maybe this isn't quite... But, I mean, then you get back and you're at the, you know, Cavs and the Grizzlies. So, like, they still got some really tough games here without uh, without Harden. They need him to play much better than he's been playing uh, if they want to not look like a train wreck here. I, I mean, things could go pretty bad here. Like... Again, you're yeah. talking about three really tough games in a row. Granted, they're at home. They got uh, five in a row at home, and then, and then they've got six out of Charlotte, seven on the road, or one Charlotte and two Orlando. But again, two two Orlando, one Charlotte. I agree with you. Like I, I think it go go either way, though. You know, I think that look, you should win games at home with Joel, and you also should beat those teams on the road. So it could be a good stretch, but you know, the the taste in our mouth is not a good one. Which, as we mentioned before the pod, like. Has there been a positive pod this year? No. Have they won two in a row like before a pod? I don't think so. The, 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 that one stretch, the one brief stretch where I had the Raptors and the Bulls and the Wizards, and they won those three games. That's before, true. Before Harden went out. That was probably the only positive podcast we've had. Um, but now you're looking at and like you mentioned those teams. Yeah, they've got the Hawks and Jazz and the Bucks, and those are, are three relatively tough games. Hawks and the Jazz shouldn't be impossible, especially with Embiid, especially at home. Should win those games. And then you've got road games against Charlotte and, 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 and Orlando, and you're on the road, but you should you should win those games with Joel. But you're looking at the recent trends here, and you've got losses to Washington, the Knicks, and the Hawks. So And the Hawks are a good team, but Washington and the Knicks, and you're like, well, I have no idea what to expect from this team. Night in, night out, game to game, I have no idea what to expect from this team. Yeah, they it's beat the Suns unsettling. the other night too. That's a, a quality win, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, they're a complete mystery. What did you make of jo- JoJo the last couple of nights? Well, first of all, I thought taking him out in a third was a big mistake, and it's one that Doc has made. I, I don't want to call it a mistake he's made, but a decision that Doc has made consistently. Like Doc will almost four fouls middle of the third, he's taking him out because quite frankly, he was going to take him out probably in a couple minutes anyway. He took him out. Maybe three minutes before he otherwise would have. But I thought it wasn't. What was that? Those add up, though. They do, especially when the other team goes on a run immediately. And I do think Doc is too quickly, because look, what you're trying to do there is make sure that you have Embiid for the fourth, and especially for the closing of the fourth. Well, closing of the fourth doesn't freaking matter if you don't get there uh, with the game close. And <laughs> when you take someone out like that, like you're, you're, conceding what you are trying to prevent. You are l- making sure that you limit Joel Embiid's minutes to prevent limiting Joel Embiid's minutes. And I think coaches just do that too much. It's one that Doc will always do, so I don't want to harp on it too much. But I would let Joe try to get two or three more minutes out of that run. But, you know, in, in terms of his game, the turnovers were bad, which happens a lot when Joe tries to do too much. The ones that really got me were the ones in transition or in, in sort of like early offense. The one he, was crazy. He had Maxi. Yeah. Just, just throw the ball to Maxi. He's running he had, alongside you. Give him the he ball. had two of them where he just had a blatant, like push off, like shoulder into him, send him back. Those are the ones that kill me in part because it's a turnover and you lose possession, but in part because like a big part of the reason he was in foul trouble is because he committed two or three offensive fouls that were not just being aggressive, but unnecessary. They were, they were bad risks. I thought his defense was pretty good. Yeah. Probably really good. 
It especially looked really good when they brought in B-Ball Paul and he had no real idea how to stop that pick and roll. <laughs> B-Ball Paul did not have a good night. And sometimes you no. can look up and he'll be negative 14 in nine minutes. You go, yeah, but he was playing with most... No, B-Ball Paul no, was a was, part of that. He, he was, was a pretty big part of this, <laughs> this negative. Now, he was... I think he was minus 19 in his first five minutes. Now, it got a little better, of course, when they went to the, uh, well, when the great lineup scored. with him and Trez <laughs> yeah. at the end. Which, one of the weird... I mean, I, I understand that that happens a lot in NBA games. The team's take their foot off the uh, off the gas. Even so, Atlanta, like, come on. What, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, come on, with that crew? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. Shake and Trez and B-Ball Paul and who else was out there? I forget the other two guys. Ferk. Ferk, okay. Uh, yeah. Went on a, a great run. Uh, yeah. And and yeah, so we, you know, we've been the fan base. They light Trez up when he plays bad. Uh, okay. Reed was... No, Reed was, was awful. Stink, was stinky awful. last night. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought Joe overall. If you could take away the turnovers, it's tough to take away the turnovers. I thought he otherwise played pretty well. I, I've been encouraged by his first oh, two games, in, especially in terms of like energy level and you know being in shape. Like he looks like he is handling that better than I would have expected. He shot sixteen free throws in that first game back, which yep. you know it wasn't the easiest performance. And by the way, like Phoenix, pretty good defensive team too. So you know him. I think he was like nine of twenty-one or something like that from the field. I, I really liked how he played in that game, where he just they, there were a couple times when the Sixers got stagnant, like we saw in that Hawks game, and he just put his head down and got to the free throw line, it kind of put an end to the run. And like you said, the defensive effort has been better. I think he got a little bit tired at the end sure. of uh, at the end of the Hawks game, but and the turnovers were bad, and he needs to be a part of kind of getting the ball moving and. I don't know, a, a safer way, I'd say, like a few more dribble handoffs, maybe uh, a few less, like you said, crazy drives to the basket if he's going to charge into people. But o- overall, that's one of the positives, I would that, say. I think that stretch last good. year uh, when the Sixers had like ha- half of a point guard and he became sort of like enamored with bringing the ball up in uh, in transition. Yeah, maybe maybe kick that habit now, Joe. Maybe kick that habit a little bit. You got to do it in a more responsible way is, yeah. is the way I would put it like it's it it can't be all your drives you got to be setting up other people on a positive note they are guarding a little bit right yeah no they're playing pretty good defense right now especially the last two games they're uh, for a team that like we killed night in and not just like when joe was on the bench like joe was bad defensively especially for the first two games Mm -hmm. they're guarding very well right now as joel Embiid said the season started after that phoenix win course it oh. then followed up with a so-so performance but at least they guarded he did try to make the excuse that well they switched too much to start, start the season and now they're not and yeah. certainly there was some switching that i thought i disagreed with some automatic switches that probably shouldn't have been automatic switches i don't think they were involving joe though like i don't no, think I joe didn't. was switching too much more than i would have had him but anyway I didn't buy that excuse that no. much. They he couldn't say we didn't try, and that's what the uh, the excuse was. And you know, I think transition is a perfect way to to look at it. If you look at, I think since that fifth game of the year, the Raptors, when it really hit rock bottom, and their transition defense was just the numbers were just they were gory. I mean, they were, yeah. it was brutal. They're a top five transition team in the league, and some of it is they're getting back better, and some of it is they're just like hustling back and making plays when you know like. Look, the game against Atlanta, you can't give a team more opportunities to run than that. They turned the ball over the whole game. They missed a billion shots. Yeah. 
and they didn't get killed. You know, Atlanta had a decent frequency, but you have guys like Melton, House, Tobias, Tucker. They're they're bailing out some of their teammates for a bad shot by just hustling back, yep. making good hands plays, and that's that's good to see. And that, you know, that kind of leads into our daily doc update. Like this is straight up bad offense, which I think he deserves blame for. I, I he's supposed to be good at organizing a team offense, and I think at times he has been for this team, but not right now. Um, there's like, like I said, no empty side pick and roll. You can run with Seth Curry 30 times a game, but I also think the Sixers played hard enough last night. Yeah. You know, I saw they played hard enough against the Knicks too. Yeah. And I saw him beating the starters going nuts when the bench mounted that stupid comeback at the end of the game too. So even the the, the guy with bad body language, the only one is Maxi right now. I, you know, and you know, Joel did grumble about being taken out of the game, which like, I agree with you. Fair. That was not a Fair, smart but move I by also Doc. like his, part of his explanation was like, trust me not to foul. Well, then don't commit the stupid freaking offensive fouls in transition. Like you're in that position because you made some bad decisions. I don't know. Co- completely agree. And look, you, you know this better than anybody. Joel grumbles after losses. That's yeah. what he's done for years. He's not a great loser, which is fine. I just don't think you can read too much into those comments of like, yeah. oh, he, he hates like he grumbles and he sometimes gets mad when a, a coach screws up in a normal way, but I, I wouldn't read into it. So yeah. You like, know, then you have the, the his criticism is well something too. that like a lot of co- players will have disagreements with their coaches. Joe just, he's a little too honest at the podium. Always has <laughs> been probably always will be regardless of coach and whether or not he wants the coach fired or not. It's just, it's who he is. Well, it's when he wins, it's like a jovial joking yeah. honesty. Or like a trolling kind of honesty. Right. And when he loses, it's just blunt. And he says like four words and he's dejected. And yeah. that's honestly probably even more honest. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I would just say like the effort and all of those things, it doesn't fit into a neat box for me, that that loss. It's just bad offense. So, you know, look, Doc might not be a fall guy. Might be a winter guy or a spring guy. <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with that one. He hasn't been a spring guy for a while. But no, you know, not a summer guy either. Oh, rich, 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 rich. So what? As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks. And we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball, and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic. Plus, up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget 
If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. I guess, what are you looking for over the next couple of games? What would give you a good indication that they're turning this back around? I think it's like you said. I'd like to see the ball moving. I'd like to see some more dribble handoffs with the right players, maybe Tobias. Uh, I'd like to see, you know, some movement off Joel's post-ups. I'd like to see Maxi getting out in transition a little better. Um, it, it's all little things. It's all kind of, I, I just want to see more activity on the offensive end, which, um, you know, we usually talk about that on the defensive end, like they were lazy on that end. I, if you wanted to point to a lazy skill set from that Hawks game, I think they just didn't move enough on offense. And, there needs to be kind of an understanding that as a team, they need to manufacture points. So that's, that's what I want to see. And I also want to see Tyrese Maxey make a couple shots too. It would be nice. It would just give, give me one of those Toronto games. And uh, at least we can have some enjoyable basketball to watch. Have you seen Charles Bassey's stats with the Spurs, by the way? I saw two games. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. Did you see pops uh, comment? No, what he said. I played him. He was putting up like a billion points in the uh, the the G League, so we thought maybe we were an idiot and missed something or something like that. I'd have to pull it up. Let me let me see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, I mean he he scored a billion points here too. It's it's just so funny that that seems to happen to this team. And I, look, I think many now, other. To be pro- fair, after Isaiah Joe's big night, he hasn't really been in the regular rotation since. No, <laughs> no, but hey, people pick up on it because they want to just kill the Sixers. It's funny. I, I think many of their problems, the Sixers. I mean, are there. It's their own doing, but they're also on a run of, even from like a PR standpoint, man, holy shit, is nothing going their way right now. <laughs> and I think that'll change at some point this season. They're just not catching many breaks at the moment. Now, they need to do more than catch breaks. They actually need to play better basketball. But yeah, I don't know. When I saw Bassey lighting up the uh, the NBA for a couple games, I'm just like, man, they uh, when it rains, it pours. Here is the uh, pop quotes. He came in and played a couple of G League games, scored a thousand points, and it was like, well, maybe we're dumb, so we should be playing this guy. So we brought him up and he played him. Now, the Spurs are obviously in a little different of a spot in terms of their team life cycle than the Sixers. It's a little easier to give a young kid a little bit of run. I mean, the, the Doc wasn't going to play him. I don't. I'm, I was really surprised last year after he had that game against Jokic that he didn't get a sniff for the rest of the year, but... He's too young. Yeah. You can't can't expedite that birth certificate, as a former Sixers coach would say. He was terrible in summer league too. I, yeah, yeah I, he wasn't good. I don't know. Here's another thing I'd like to see: Shake Milton. Can you look like an NBA player? I his biggest I contribution bad. was when he got his own rebound and got a putback. I feel bad saying that because he's only played sparingly. He was out of the rotation to start the year. But he's been completely out of sorts, man. He can't make a shot, bad passes, terrible reads on pick and rolls and in transition. Ah, super disappointing stuff from him. Like I I touted him as like, you know, th- this should be one of the better 11th guys in the league. And he's been bad. So yeah. that's another thing. And like we talk about the lack of ball handling and all of these 3 and D guys. All right, Shake, you are not one of those players. Like you actually should have the skill set to contribute a little bit here. And frankly, you have in the past. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. 
Let me let me ask you a question. How, how do you think we have gotten to this level of apathy as as a like, fan base? Yeah, like we're, obviously we're not we're not in the fan base, but you can sense it, I'm sure, in you know your Twitter mentions, your or my you know, Mastodon your, mentions now. Your Collins, yeah, I, I, I'd never heard of that honestly until today. I don't I don't think that's going to take off, but you know you never know. Uh, and I, look, I would like to shout out everybody who is listening because you are the true sickos, and I mean that in the birds with friends most way. most positive yeah. birds with friends way possible. But man, I just sense it in everything I write. Almost nobody cares at all about the team, about the specific games. It's like what your brother said. I can't believe you're watching the team <laughs> yeah. right now. Um, and really, the only thing I feel like a lot of people care about is just talk to me when the coach gets fired because I think he sucks. Um, yeah. How do, how do they get here this quickly? Well, I don't think it's been that quickly. I think it's. Uh, I think every year that it's happened, a second round exit. I think more and more people have sort of jumped on the I don't buy this team as yeah. a legit finals contender bandwagon. And it's funny because there have been so many different iterations of quote-unquote this team from the Brett Brown, Ben Simmons, Robert Covington, Dario Sharch to you know swapping out and bringing in Jimmy and Tobias. I think that's probably the team that people bought into the most. Uh, and then the Horford and Richardson and then you know Maxi and Curry and now Harden, but everyone has ended up in disappointment. And for some people, I'm seeing more and more people who tie a lot of that back to Embiid. But I think for a lot of people, it's you know, I think there are a lot of people that really do hate Doc and really do think he's a problem. And I think there are a lot of people that are hoping that Doc is a problem. Yeah. Because he is, we you know, we've talked about this a lot in the past where a lot of the discourse around coaches is that they get a lot of the blame because they are the easiest to change and the least consequential to change, the one that does the least damage to your franchise. Because if the coach isn't the problem, then you have to really dive in and inspect your core pieces. And those are much more difficult to change. It makes a lot, takes a lot more time. It's a lot scarier. So I think a lot of people are just sitting here waiting for that change to come and they won't buy in until it happens. But also I think there's just a lot of people that don't really like know what to make of this team that there's no, like, let me ask you, what is this team currently good at? They're not above average in anything. How can you be excited about a team that had finals expectations and you and I who watch every game, usually multiple times, and have been doing so for over a decade, if we can't sit here and say they're, as a team, not an individual person, not a skill set, not a player, as a team, I don't know what they're good at, well then how am I going to tell Joe Fan over here to buy into them as a, a final contender? Now part of that could be related to the fact that of the 12 games, Embiid and Harden have only played together, half of them. Two of those games don't really count because Embiid looked like he was... He wasn't there. He yeah, wasn't, they he played was, in the third of the game yep. together. So maybe that changes, but right now, I, if I'm trying to make a sales pitch, you know, get on the Sixers bus now because they're about to take off, I have no idea how I would make it. I have no idea how I would make it. And I think fans are smart enough to sense that. I think they need to be shown that not only can this team win in the second round, but that they're even worthy of their time right now. It's stunning 
when we came in, I'm a couple podcasts removed from saying I thought this team was going to win 56 games. And now we're like, it's been a rough month. I don't know what they're good at. It's just, it's been a really tough start to a season. And also not only is it a tough start to the season, but like a lot of people didn't believe in them as finals contenders. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, look, I get it. And I'm not mad at people for feeling apathetic. They can think whatever they want to think and they can think doc is terrible. And that's, that's fine. I, you know, I'm not even, I'm not saying I I completely disagree with that. Like, you know, it's like, we don't have to get into the whole coach thing again. And, but I would just say like, yeah, they're not a fun team to watch. And frankly, I thought they would be more fun than this. Like I thought they would, you know, winning cures all. I thought Harden and Embiid together and, you know, depth and, you know, they're eight and four at this point, um, you know, and they're bad for a million different reasons. And I think everybody deserves some level of blame. Joel too. He stunk at the beginning of the season. I guess my, my point is that it's just so weird. And, and I guess you take it for granted for the Sixers to be this irrelevant at this time yeah. of the year. Maybe this is what it should be in November. Maybe not to this level, but maybe November people shouldn't be freaking out about a loss to the Pistons on November 6th because the Pistons shot 50% from three, which has been the case in past years. These games aren't necessarily life and death, but it's just weird. They, they've been a bigger deal for years, and right yeah. now they're, they're just not. And, you know, I wonder if there's just a certain level of fatigue with I think there's a lot of fatigue. The process. There, and, there is expectation fatigue, I think, in this town. And that Joel, might be the best way I can ex- describe it. Expectation fatigue. And it's not like they're fatigued with Joel, but they're fat- he's the symbol of the team sure. still being relatively in the same era. And, uh, yeah, I, I wonder if, um, you know, people think it's just kind of run its course. And I think there's a, there's a lot of people that won't buy back in until they exceed what they've done in the past and prove them wrong. And then there's the other, if, if that's half the fan base, then there's the other half of the fan base who, well, I believed in a team coming in and they look like shit. So I think it's, it's split like, and also you've got a Phillies team that just went to the world series and, and then, an Eagles team that's undefeated and all that other stuff too. And that second half is probably the ones that would like to see Doc go because they still believe in the team. Yeah. And they just think the coach is the problem, which I think fair enough. If 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 we get to, you know, February and the football season is over and the Sixers are playing better, I think you could see a lot of people come back on quickly. But like well, look, we know the football season's gonna end. That's a that's a that's a given. They have to be playing better and they have to deserve your attention. Uh and if we get to there, I think they will. I think they will. It felt weird that uh, Herder wasn't on the Hawks last night. He felt yeah. like a lifetime Hawk to me. Yeah, no, he sh- he should he should have been posting up Tyrese. Sure, yeah, yeah, with red hair, red jerseys, all that stuff. Yep. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, I still can't believe they lost that series, man. That one will haunt me. That will haunt because it was just they, no business. Anyway, anyway, everyone listening to this podcast, especially the sickos listening to this podcast, know what happened there a couple of years ago. But thank you, Rich for jumping on and we will talk to you soon. Wait, wait, I got one more take. Cause it's just the jazz are coming up. I, I've been thinking about this for the past couple of days. Danny Ainge should be allowed to trade a draft pick for a team's record. <laughs> they're 10 and three. That's crazy. It is crazy he, that they're 10 and three. He wants, he, he, but he has to trade the draft pick basically is my, point. <laughs> like, like he has to give up one of his fake first round picks. He's gotten in accumulating all these picks. And then he gets a team's three and eight record. I, I think that's the, uh, 
that that's the best way to solve this because he's got to be losing his mind. All right, I'm they sorry. are winning with Larry Markkinen turning into what people thought Chris Saps Porzingis would be. Clarkson and Olenek, and it's just an amazing rag tra- ragtag group of people that they're not even trying to build with, and they are ten and three. Unbelievable, unbelievable. We will see them at the Wells Fargo Center on Sunday. But yeah, once again, thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.